0: Hey, friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. guys welcome back to innocence part two uh we know that this is not usually something that we do but we felt like it would be easier for you guys if the episode was split into two parts especially since this is a very hefty episode and we have a lot to get through and so we made it easier on ourselves and on you guys um yeah i mean tabby had the
1: excellent point of Nobody wants to click onto their Spotify or their Apple podcast and see a five-hour podcast. So we felt like it would be Yeah, better. I'd click right yeah, off. We felt like it would be better just to split it into two. And we also didn't want to sacrifice um, the integrity of the episode either. We felt like we'd be rushing through some stuff if we were to cut it out, um, anything. So here we are for part two. Buckle up because there's going to be a lot more good stuff that we're going to be talking about. All right, so where we left off was Angelus has just revealed himself to everyone. Buffy is in shock and they're now in the library. So this is another long shot that Joss talks about where everyone works together, but the camera does most of the work. Like the actors are all kind of working together in the scene. What Joss normally does is he goes into wherever the scene is going to be filmed and he acts out where everyone's going to be at in the script and he kind of like does the dialogue back and forth to kind of figure out where would be the best place for everyone to be seated or to be standing. And then he blocks it off for the actors. So he very cleverly had Buffy sitting kind of where the camera is viewing from. And so as you're going, you start, I think it starts with like Giles pacing, and then it goes to Cordelia. And then you have Xander and Miss Calendar standing back behind Cordelia and Willow. And then you see Willow. And then as everyone's talking and kind of panicking, then the camera kind of pans right. And it, Ends up and lands on Buffy And that's where the shot ends And he said finding Buffy at the end of the shot Was all about the fact that all of this is all Going on and she's completely in her own space And isn't a part of it He said the politics of the thing are always so complicated I always said I didn't want to kill The girl that has sex and yet I punish the Shit out of her that brings up a lot of Issues with me I don't like the idea of a Reactionary message that everything you do Must be punished I believe that Buffy and Angel were in love that What they did wasn't bad at the same time, I don't want to be saying all teenagers must buff. It's complicated. I don't really want to be telling them one thing or another, but inevitably in a horror show, you end up punishing people for everything they do just so you can find the horror, the real emotional horror of everything they do. Um, buff is, I think, a British slang term for having sex. <laughs> but I thought that that was, and I think we talked about it in part one of this episode, just this, the idea that Joss didn't want to punish Buffy, but then at the same time, I think there was also a part of him that was kind of like, Hey, this is a really good story. So we're still going to put this in. And so I, it's difficult now knowing what we know of Joss to not feel like, uh, like he created, you guys know what I'm trying to say. He created the character of Buffy, but mm-hmm. it feels like he's also punishing Buffy. I,
0: I, I have an issue with this in general, even taking my distaste for Joss out of it. It makes for a quote unquote good storyline. Absolutely. But I, I'm so sick of that narrative of women getting punished for sex and all this stuff because yes, Angel loses a soul. Um, but inevitably we only see the pain on Buffy's in side in mm-hmm. Buffy. Right. And so, and that's really frustrating because it's like, why? Is only the woman being punished? Why is only the woman kind of being condemned for this? And it's just, it's interesting for someone that would claim to be feminist. That's a very kind of sexist point of view. Um, I think
1: it could be argued that technically Angel's being punished for this as well, because Angel didn't ask for his soul to be removed from him he didn't even know about the loophole in the curse and i think that angel wouldn't want to be tormenting buffy so this is a punishment for him so y-
0: yes but like it's not like oh he gets punished and it's like ah oh, all the repercussions are on him when he gets punished it's also punishing buffy and then buffy mm-hmm. also gets punished on her end as well like everything is facing Buffy at this point and I think the part that pisses me off the most is not the fact that you know they have sex and both of them have ramifications because that makes the storyline a storyline the part that pisses me off is the fact there are multiple times in the episode where people say things that almost slut shame Buffy um even like that the speech at the end which we'll get to when we get there with Giles he says really really great things but then the first thing out of his mouth is like Yes, you acted rash, and it's like, how did she act rash? She had sex with her boyfriend, who she loves, and we'll get there. We'll get there at the end. But I think he's talking about rash
1: in the sense that he's a vampire, and he we don't understand what it's like. like he's probably never heard of a, anybody having sex with a vampire before. This is that's a how new I view territory. It too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is completely fair if that's his point of view, but. I think that the word rash maybe isn't the best choice. Because it's still like, Giles, you allowed her to date this guy. Even vampire or not, you allowed him her to fall in love, to be in a romantic relationship with him. They've taken it slower than a lot of couples in high school ever did or ever would. And so the fact that he uses the word rash, like, it's kind of like... I don't think she was being unwise. I don't think she did anything wrong. Like,
1: I don't think he's slut shaming her. I think that's a different thing than what you're talking about here. I think maybe he's, is cautioning her into using wisdom, like you were saying, but I don't think that's slut shaming. And so I am trying to think of times in this episode where people were slut shaming her. And honestly, I don't think anyone was. Um, I think that the overall message of the episode quite possibly is, um, you know what I mean I don't see any of the characters Jenny doesn't and Jenny knows Willow doesn't Willow knows Xander has no clue so how is he going to um the only people that know is Jenny Giles and Willow like those are the three people and all three of them handle it very well I mean Jenny as much as she can um so yeah, I don't I feel like I don't feel like anyone's slut shaming Buffy it's it's a it's a difficult line because as writers, not that we're writers, but as a writer, Joss has a responsibility for his characters, right? And so it's like you want to put your characters in situations. And I'm not going to say that you can't ever say that sex doesn't have consequences. I can't say – or you can't ever write it. You can't ever write that like whatever has consequences or you can't ever put your characters in situations. But you can't say – That you struggle with the girl getting punished for having sex and then do that exact same thing in your writing. That's the thing that I think we're all struggling with. And it's, it feels very hypocritical. Um, and I think it feels, it's more frustrating now because we know who Joss is and we know that Joss isn't actually feminist, that Joss just writes whatever is gonna get him, you know, onto a TV show, you know?
0: Also, I just kind of the tone of, his quote seems very much like I got to vocalize that I don't want her to be punished just so I don't get in trouble. Sure. So it feels very much like that. That could not very well be it, but it feels very much like I don't really care, but I know people get frustrated about this. so I'm going to vocalize it, but then also say that I enjoyed doing it in the process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong. Like yeah. he, he's saying like he's, he's struggling with the fact that like he wants to show like a classic horror trope, which is that everyone has a really hard time and everyone gets punished for everything they, they do. Um, but then he's also trying to be like, well, I don't want to say that like all teenagers should constantly like, or should always have sex and stuff like that, because I think there is like this line there. So I think that he's, struggling with that as most people would. But what we're struggling with is the fact that it's Joss saying and claiming to be a feminist and he's just not. So anyway, we will definitely come back to this topic later because um, I feel like there is more to talk about. And as time goes on, I'm sure there's going to be other things that pop up, but moving on for now. Um, Giles asks if they are certain and jealous is back. Xander, yeah, we're all certain. Anyone not feeling certain here? Willow looks shook as well. He came here to kill us. Cordelia asks what they should do. And Giles, I'm leaning towards a blind panic myself. Jenny gently correcting him is just really precious. She says, Rupert, don't talk like that, the kids. And I just keep thinking like, Jenny, you keep having these great moments, but you're sitting on really important information here that could really help out right now. I just, it's frustrating.
0: Well, that's what that's what frustrates me is the fact that she's sitting here and kind of like a little bit like, oh, Giles, like trying to be the calm one and stuff. And it's like, he just gathered this information. Like, no wonder you're more calm you've had the information that angel could lose his soul and go back to himself for a long time whether you knew how he would lose his soul or not like you knew it was a possibility hence why you were keeping an eye on him like and so it's just kind of like dude like allow them five seconds to kind of be a little freaked out even if it is giles like he's human and the the person who now who's worked with them, who knows all their secrets, who's been invited into their houses. Like, that's a reason to be a little freaked out. Like Yeah, well,
1: I mean, like, I don't blame her for saying, Rupert, don't talk like that, the kids, because I do think like that's a valid thing. And to be fair, she did just find out like the day before from Uncle enos or that day or something about him. So she's only like maybe a day or so ahead of them knowledge wise. But she did come to the Hellmouth with the soul responsibility to watch angel which still gave her a little bit more insight and information buffy's sitting deep in thought playing with her ring willow asks if there's anything she can do buffy is blaming herself i should have known i saw him at the house he was different which is interesting because i saw him at the house that line was written for when she was supposed to have that conversation with him on the front lawn it still kind of makes con like it still kind of makes sense With um, her seeing him at his house. But it's interesting that they didn't change that line.
0: I didn't even pick that up. I just kind of assumed she meant like his apartment.
1: Um, He was different. The things he said. Mm -hmm. Giles wants to know. And she says it's private. Willow asks Jenny how she knew, which I thought was really intuitive of and Willow. Well,
0: they also just like zoomed past that because her answer doesn't make any sense. I saw his face, but it was dark. How, But dude. also he's a vampire. I would just be like, oh, okay. That's he what I thought too. Face. It was like, you saw his face face like okay yeah yeah.
1: well at this point they're not really suspicious of her so there's like no reason to really question it a whole lot they're just like okay whatever move on um i think if they had had more suspicion then yeah but it's like uh, it's frustrating because that was her moment Mm -hmm. that was her moment to explain why and how she knew she had multiple moments yeah that's true she just covers for herself i just
0: i would feel so guilty if i saw buffy respond like that and i knew. that it was her not her fault but what had happened was the catapult and i I just like i feel like i would just at least pull her aside and talk to her about it or just something like how do you just sit there and be like oh she's in agony ah move on eh, gotta cover my own skin and she's blaming Mm -hmm. herself like i would explain it to her like hey like you did a good thing like you let him experience being human and being loved and cared for. And unfortunately, like ever, my whole, you know, like tribe is jerks. <laughs> and they want him to be like awful. Like she didn't could do have a bad explained thing. it and everyone would have understood. She was like, Hey, I didn't know the details. I thought Angel was a horrible human. Not human being, horrible demon when I came here and like blah, 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 blah. And she's like, and I just found out all the details about it. I am so sorry. I love you guys, blah, 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 blah. But instead, now that she's holding it. Now it's worse. It, now it's so much worse. And she, like, she looks like she's lying this whole time. Like no one's going to believe her. Well, she looks like she's responsible. Yeah.
1: Even if she had like come to them when Uncle Enyo's first said something to her like back in surprise or even if like she hadn't she could have said hey it was my duty and I was just like I was trying to actually separate you guys but even still like I don't know it just it doesn't look good for her but there was definitely like a time that would have looked better for her than now So Giles wants to know how it happens. says that something triggered it. Buffy suddenly realizes what happened. And as Giles presses her, she shuts down and leaves. Willow figures it out and says, Giles, shut up.
0: Honestly, good for Willow in this scene. Like to one, pick up the, on the cues of her best friend and just be like, <gasps> but also to just being like Giles like stop pushing her like because it's like yes Willow is innocent and it has not experienced a ton of the world but like anyone could pick up how that would be rough yeah and I also
1: I firmly believe too that Jenny figures it out in this moment as well because you see her face you see her kind of like putting two and two together and she also agrees with Will like yeah I think we should let her be um, and I'm like come on Jenny like <laughs> Uh, you're the person holding all the cards here right now too mm-hmm. like ah uh. she's just witnessing it all and I'm like come on Girly. She's just selfish yeah. she's hiding she's hiding it all because she's trying to save her own skin Cordelia this is great an unkillable demon is in town angels joined his team the slayer's a basket case I'd say we've hit bottom Xander I have a plan Cordelia oh no here's a lower place <laughs> I know that was so good <laughs> Xander thinks he has an idea to get rid of the judge when Willow vouches for him, just like she did earlier. Cause okay, you guys remember she vouched for him in the, in the library when he was the only one that wanted to go save Buffy. And he says. I need Cordelia for this. And I, to his credit, he looks at
0: Willow apologetically, like, Hey, like, I, I see you. I know this is hard for you. And her Please response, understand. this is what I was talking about. This is what's frustrating for me. It's like, no problem. I'll get us. He has a van. Like, it's like, are we now trying to have a competition? This reminds me so distinctly of, I listened to, um, the office ladies podcast and it's with Jenna Fisher and, um, Angela Kinsey and both of them are Pam and. Angela and they were talking about the one of the first seasons her first scenes with um Jim and Pam and it's like both of them are dating different people and they're very catty with each other like and kind of showing off their relationship in front of each other and it feels the same way it's like clearly there's something going on like why can't you just be mature about it and just be like hey like yeah like um I can go ask Oz or whatever, but it's, like, the fact that she has to, like, one him up and be like, oh, yeah, just so you don't forget, I'm also dating somebody. I think it was also a way, like, I completely agree with you, Taps, but I was saying, like, I think it's also a way of her being, like, trying to convince herself that, like, she's fully into Oz, and so whatever Xander does Mm -hmm. doesn't affect her, and, like, blah, 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 and we know that that's not true, and, and I think that this scene is really important because then later when she has that talk with Oz, it's even more meaningful because someone kind of calls her out on that.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think especially too, because in this moment, it's like, okay, Willow, why can't you just be like happy that you're in a relationship or is starting a relationship? Um, why can't, like, if you're so into Oz, why do you need Xander? Like, what do you need his affirmation? And why do you need his jealousy? And I think that It's so astute of Oz in the next scene to be like, hey, I can tell that you're still pining after Xander. No, I'm too – Emotionally mature. I'm too emotionally mature. I was going to say I'm too good for that, but like in a good way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like not like I'm better than that, but like I have too much self-respect to be like, okay, I'm going to kiss you just because you want to kiss me. He also seems like he's
0: experienced In, like, a very good way. Like, he's he's done relationships before and he knows what works and what doesn't. And he seems very much like, I'm not going to sit here and, like, let this happen when I know this isn't, like, what is healthy and what is supposed to be in a relationship, I guess.
1: Yeah. Or he's just incredibly confident and he knows himself well and he's, like, I – am worth more than this i and also you're worth more than this willow like
0: mm-hmm.
1: i don't want to kiss you just because you want to make some other guy jealous i want to
0: kiss you because you you mean a lot to it me, cheapens you know? the moment too like when you think Absolutely. back on that first kiss like it's not gonna be as magical as you want it to be
1: well and they'll always know they started their relationship that way yeah and that's it's tainted. just not a way to do that yep exactly Um, so when he says he needs a big set of wheels, yeah, that's when Willow says Oz has a van. And I just wanted to note that Giles is back there blissfully unaware, like reading books and stuff, has no clue any of this is going on. And this happens so frequently in so many episodes. There will be things happening between like Buffy and Xander and Cordelia and Willow and Giles just has no clue about any of it. It's really funny. Okay. What do you guys think of Xander's reaction to Willow saying, Oz has a van and he says, good. and But like the look he gives her, it almost was kind of like respect. Like, yeah, you have someone? That's how I interpreted it. But I was like, I couldn't tell. Like he gave her kind of this knowing look.
0: I think he's just really trying to be sensitive towards her right now because he knows her really well. So I think he's trying to just like affirm her in any way that he can. I don't hate Xander in this episode. Usually there's so much that I'm just like crapping on. But I like respect a lot of how he responded in this episode, especially towards Willow. And I think that makes the most sense writing wise, because they know each other so well that he's like, I don't usually see this catty, for lack of a better word, side of Willow. So he's like, I know that she's got to be in such a hurtful low place. So I'm just going to try to affirm her as best as I can. I kind of interpret it the same way. I think, I, I think it was more of him just kind of being like, Oz oh, is good like, Oz is good for you, I'm, Ooh, I'm happy yeah. you have that, like, I don't think it was trying to be like, yeah, like, Oz has a van. that's cool, like, I think it was just more of, like, yes, like, I'm happy for you, I want that for you, and just trying to be very, like, I don't know, I feel like he was just trying but to be also, a good also, I think, like, he knew that if he responded at the same caliber of her cattiness, that, like nothing would get fixed. And I think it would feed her emotion even more. I think his subtlety helps so much because it's like, I think at least if I were Willow, I'd realize like, oh, this isn't affecting him like emotionally as it's affecting me. Therefore, like he clearly doesn't care for me the way that I care for him. So it would help me move on. But if he responded kind of like I don't know, on the same caliber, I feel like he would feed it way much more and it would just go around in circles. I think it was very mature of him to just kind of be very like nonchalant about it and very like cool.
1: Well, I think going back to their conversation in the hall when she said, we're not okay, but there are bigger things going on, more important than you and me, I think that was him recognizing that in that moment and saying there are bigger things. And I mean, I've been really impressed with Xander in this episode because he has taken the high ground. There are times you see him being very reactive. And like we talked about it in Surprise, he's reactive and he's actually very um petty and snappy in that one because of Cordelia hurting him. In this episode, he doesn't I mean, he kind of – he snipped at Cordelia that one time. She bites back at him, but instead of him biting back at her, he keeps his mouth shut and then goes and apologizes to her like, what? And then when Willow actually like confronts him, he keeps his mouth shut and is like, okay, we're moving on. And I mean, he's just – it's a tremendous amount of growth and it's just very encouraging. So Xander, you get four stars for this one. (laughs) I know. I'm impressed. Did not think I'd say impressed Right. Yeah, I know. The one the lack of the one star is simply just because he's still kind of being a butt to Cordelia. But yeah. Because then he won't tell Cordelia the plan because she'll be then, – because then she'll back out. Then tells her to meet them at Willow's house in half an hour and then he tells her that her outfit is trashy essentially. I was like, what? Uh, that outfit was so normal looking. Like Josh Whedon says that he, too. I don't
0: think he – Really? I don't think he actually thinks that. I think it's just he, he knows the right things to say that are going to hurt her feelings. I think that's all it is. I don't know. It was just so weird. Like he's doing so well. And then it was like, why and then I don't know. you do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Josh Sweden about this says there's Xander telling Cordelia that her outfit looks trashy when in fact it doesn't actually. But that is one of the little things that falls by the wayside. Um, I think what he meant to say is that The costume department might have needed to actually dress her a little bit more that way, but they didn't. I'm not really sure what he meant by that. but Or he probably meant to go back and amend that that line, but didn't. Who knows? Mm. He also said, I love the fact that Willow realized exactly what happened with Buffy and is the only one again. He said, her bond with Buffy is something that I find kind of transcendent, even when they don't get along at all. And I was like, yeah. So cute. Um, Giles is concerned for Buffy. Jenny and Will agree that Buffy should be left alone. Giles, I can imagine what she's going through. Willow, no, I don't think you can. Which is completely fair. Um, Okay, so there's a little bit of a continuity error here that I did not pick up until Joss talked about it. So – Xander tells Cordelia that they're supposed to meet at Willow's in 30 minutes, but then we go to the factory, then we see Buffy cry in her room, she falls asleep, then it's morning, then she goes to the school, confronts Jenny, then it's night again, and now they're at the army base. So, Oh, what the heck?
0: Maybe it's yes. supposed to be like the, the next night? I don't know. Yeah, so Joss said he
1: didn't actually notice it until he was editing the episode. And he said, I was watching the final mix of Innocence when I noticed this huge mistake. He said, let's just think of it as them going to Willows the night before to practice and go over what they were going to do. And then they went to the Army base the next night. So (laughs) I was like, "Mm, okay. But the thing is that most people just don't notice it. Like, it just kind of works because there's so much other stuff going on. Yeah, but now I will never not notice it. Thanks, Joss. So in the factory, love and pain. Thanks to Marty Knoxon. There's a lot of love and pain between Angel, Angelus, Spike, Drusilla, Buffy, all that stuff. He says they knew Buffy and Angel would get together and people would become bored. So they came up with the idea of Angel losing his soul. Thought it would keep it lively. Angelus, you should have seen her face. It was priceless. I'll never forget it. Um, And then there's another interesting shot showing the three of them. Drusilla's cradling her doll, Spike. So you didn't kill her then. Now, I know you haven't been in the game for a while, mate, but we do still kill people, you know.
0: (laughs) This whole interaction is so interesting to me because um, Angel has a lot of really interesting lines. Like I wrote them down. He says, like, this is the strongest slayer that they've ever faced, which is interesting. I mean, we know that Spike knows that. Um, I don't know if Spike would ever mention it, but he has mentioned that she's different and that she has things about her that is different than other Slayers. And obviously, Angelus would be the one to notice this the most because as Angel, he got to know her strengths in and out and see how strong she was behind doors and every foe she faced, not to mention he's seen her fight, he's fought alongside her, like, he's seen all that. And then the other one was when Angel and uh Spike are going back and forth about how they're going to kill Buffy, and then he mentions, like, in order to kill this girl, you have to love her. I was like, oh my gosh, what a good line. Like, not only is it just well written, but it's also very accurate, because, like, Buffy is strong and intelligent and very quick on her feet and stuff, and so fighting her hand on hand is not going to do the same as if she's emotionally invested or kind of damaged. Because, I mean, we've seen her fight spike over and over and over again and be his butt every single time, especially when she has help. But as we see at the end of this episode, her fighting when she's a little bit more distraught is a lot different than her fighting in a sober well, mind. Well, I kind of viewed it like the same way too as well, Leah. Like, we're This whole time that we've been dissecting Buffy, and everyone's been observing, and everyone knows that the reason why Buffy is the strongest is because she's very in tune with her emotions, and she has her friends and family, and there's so many facets that normal... Slayers don't have. So the fact that he kind of said the same thing and said that you need to love her, it's like you need to be on the same level. You need to know her. You need to know her weaknesses. You need to understand her so you can take her down. Whereas the reason why Spike hasn't is because he's been so far away. And Angelus is saying, like, I've been up close and personal. I know how strong she is, which By the way, I I think it's really interesting that he was honest and said she's the strongest slayer because I feel like as like the ex-boyfriend who's like, oh, you know, she's the worst, like we could take her down. You know, like usually guys trying to like detach or detract after they're out of a relationship. But he like was like, no, like she's the strongest slayer we've faced. I think that ultimately he just he knows not Mm -hmm. to underestimate her. And I think that. Like, Angelus seems like many things, but he really doesn't seem like someone who's a liar. Like, when it comes to, like, those things, obviously, he'll lie to get what he wants. But, like, he really seems like if someone's strong, he'll admit it. If someone is good, he'll admit it. But he ultimately will think he's better. And I think that it's him admitting that Buffy is strong and powerful that ultimately makes him a good threat. Because we saw multiple times at the beginning of the season that... Spike underestimated her a few times, and that's what made him lose a few times. And so Angel, or Angelus, is going in this knowing she's powerful, knowing she's good, because he knows that will help him inevitably.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because... On top of that, you also have this incredibly layered conversation with Drusilla and Angelus. Drusilla says, you don't want to kill her, do you? And then she pokes the doll's eyes. Very similar to how she was doing with Dalton. Like she kind of just views people as her playthings, as her dolls. She's the puppet master. You know, she has the visions. She's kind of just moving people where she wants them. Um, she says, you want to hurt her just like you hurt me. Which – I wrote, this is so well done. This is like, we're starting to reach the payoff of the last few episodes from the entirety of season two since Drusilla and Spike have been introduced because Drew is walking, talking proof of Angelus's handiwork. We are shown every episode what a monster Angelus is every time we see Drusilla. So when he actually shows up, we're already terrified of him. We're very primed and ready. And so I think it's also interesting that Angelus looks at her and says, Nobody knows me like you do, Drew. And it's like very similar to things that he's. I think it's kind of like, No one, uh, I haven't tormented
0: anyone like I've tormented yeah. You, Drusilla. Yeah, no, it's
1: true. And so, like, and again, we've talked about the comparisons between Buffy and Drusilla, Angelus slash Angel. Mm. So you have like this. It's weird, but it's like a love triangle, but it's more like a love rectangle or love square between Drusilla, Angelus, Angel, and Buffy because you have Drew and Angelus on one side, Angel and Buffy on the other. And it's also very interesting that Drusilla doesn't call him Angelus. She calls him my angel the entire time because – She views him innocently. Well, I don't know that it's that. It could be that. I think there's a part of Drusilla that likes to kind of torture Angelus in a way. and Or like she gets to give him a bit of his own medicine. And so calling him Angel, she knows that he doesn't particularly like that because he hates Angel. It is very interesting.
0: See, the way I always viewed it was that she calls him my Angel because he's kind of like her savior from humanity. Mm -hmm. He sired her and like saved her from humanity making her a vampire. So it's almost like he was her like kind of warped guardian angel. I, if I were drew and he said, no one knows me like you drew, I would kind of be, I'd be a little bit like impressed or be like, Oh, like that's good to know after you said that in order to kill her, you have to love her. So I know you the best out of everyone. So if I really needed to, I could probably kill you.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's just, it's, There's a lot of layers going on here and it's just, it's really complicated, but it's really fascinating to kind of sit down and dissect. Um, Spike, she'd better not get in our way. And then that's when Spike gets on Angelus's nerves. Spike, my boy, as he slams a box, you really don't get it, do you? And we're getting the sense that Angelus has a temper and is kind of just waiting to explode. Like he has this like, like he smiles very creepily all the time and he kind of has this carefree, Devil may care attitude, but like there's something simmering down below. He kind of seems a little like volatile and not quite all there either. Um, he says, you tried to kill her, but you couldn't look at you. You're a wreck. She's stronger than any slayer you've ever faced. Force won't get it done. You got to work from the inside. Um, and I, and then like just what you said with to kill this girl, you have to love her. Did he love Drew then? Like,
0: you know, cause he messed with her. I don't know. Um, he loved the sport of it because even when he talked to Buffy about how he did it, he talked about how he used every facet he could find, every, like, mental torture mm-hmm. that he could devise. I think he loved having somebody that he could try it
1: all on. Yeah. Um and then there's this quote from Joss. He said love without humanity is just lust and the need to dominate and control. And that's what Angelus is. You know, he has no humanity. He's not capable of love, so he 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 just lusts and tries to dominate and control. So back in Buffy's room. Oh, this is heartbreaking. This is this is really heartbreaking. Buffy's just I mean, she's doing what every teenage girl would do. You go to your room and you cry like she looks at the necklace Angel gave her and then she looks at her ring and it's interesting because she's, it mirrors Angelus putting on his necklace in his room as well in the the first scene mm-hmm. or in one of the scenes earlier on. You have Angelus coming into his room while Buffy's standing by his bed and she's like looking mm-hmm. at his shirt and he grabs a necklace to put it on. She also is by her necklace stand. It's just really, it was interesting.
0: Yeah, and I I will say that like, it just shows like, Buffy's strength, the fact that she like pushed through the day, had multiple conversations about him about everything, then got home and finally like broke down mm. like that is a strength and like a power I could not understand, um, but like the fact that she just like gets home and she's just so exhausted and tired, it's just like oh, like. She does not deserve this. I also viewed her looking at the necklace first and then staring at the ring and then taking off very symbolic because she looked at, like, the innocence in the early parts of the relationship that, like, is the necklace because he gave that to her in the first episode. Um And she wore that for, like, forever. And then the ring as, like, the deepness of their relationship, like, right before – Everything happened. And so like, that part's really painful because it was like, this is like the best and worst night of my life where it was like they felt so connected and so loved and then everything happened. And then having to stare at that is just kind of like a reminder of what has happened since then. And it's just this scene, her sobbing, like Sarah Michelle Geller, you could tell and feel how exhausted she is as well as Buffy because she just feels everything that Buffy feels. Joss says about this scene that he regrets staying back
1: with the camera. Um, he wished he had gone in for, as he says it, a big fat close up to her crying simply just because it was such an emotional part. He did, he wanted to kind of take a step back and like give her her space. But, um, he says Sarah Michelle Geller is actually crying in this episode or in this scene. You can tell. Yeah. He says she goes through the emotional pain. He goes, I don't know how she gets there and how she turns it off afterwards, but it's pretty extraordinary. Um,
0: I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously he has his own personal place, but I actually like the fact that it was shot farther away. It feels very like, like aloof, like you're kind of standing in the room with her. Um, and I feel like it gives you like kind of that. I don't, I, I, I can't explain it, but I just, I really love the fact that it's shot kind of outwardly because it, it feels very, very like normal. Like, something you would see or experience. It feels like an intimate moment that you're not supposed to be invited in. Like, one that you're like, oh, Buffy's, like, really going through it, and I feel like it would feel too invasive because, like, no one understands what she's going through, and I feel like I'd feel as a viewer – Like, I'd be intruding in such an intimate moment if I was really close up. I think that I understand how much pain she's going in, even from how far away. Like, that's how good the scene is. It doesn't have to be close up for me to understand and get the gravity of it.
1: He also says that filming had to be halted for a bit after this scene, so Sarah could calm herself down because she was kind of worked up, which, I mean, understandable. I mean, we hear her cry in this scene. I don't blame her. And I mean, like we said before, I think in Surprise, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Quoted saying she doesn't bring home Buffy's demons, but she does bring home the pain. Like, we know that she really, really cared deeply about Buffy, and she knows that Buffy wants Angel. So, um, okay, so I wanted to quote what Joss had to say about this next scene. He was saying, he wanted to get into the sexuality of this girl and her memory of what happened without being blatant, exploitative, obvious, or boring. He talked to Michael Gershman about just getting tiny, almost abstract pieces. And so he had his lighting guy take a light and put it on his arm and just swing it around them so the light would change constantly. Um, And so they basically had – you had Michael Gershman and then you had Joss and then he had this light guy and he just walked around – where behind where the camera was and swung this light around and that's how you get like those the beautiful like moving lights across the blankets and across like their skin and stuff. It does look beautiful. Mm-hmm. He said this is the first sexual scene Joss had ever shot and he was really uncomfortable. He said that Sarah and David were great. They were laughing and clowning around and Mike would call out for the lights to move and Joss would say, okay, now touch her hair. All right, now uh, bite his shoulder, etc." He said he was too embarrassed to ask them to come into the scene for post to um, do the voiceovers for the scene. So him and his sound <laughs> editor did all the heavy breathing.
0: <laughs> I, you told us that in one of the episodes. That's so much worse. I think that's
1: what? like one of my favorite bits of trivia is that the heavy breathing is actually Joss Whedon. I think I actually hate that though. I, <laughs> that's you know, it's so, so weird. I could
0: have gone my yeah. whole life without
1: knowing that. It's just, it's, I mean, it's hard to tell anyway. It's really like very tame comparatively. But yeah, I just think that that he was too embarrassed, so he was like, "Here, sound editor, you're gonna do something that's not in your job description." Like she's like, "Thanks for that."
0: (laughs) It's so funny to me because, like, I remember a couple years ago or whatever, I um I was like watching PLL or Pretty Little Liars, and I was like watching an interview, and it was like Lucy Hale talking about like one of her sex scenes, and she was talking about because of. She well, she was talking about because of like the more PG ish rating of the show. There's a certain amount of skin that they are allowed to show in their sex scene. So like they can show a little bit of back, but they can't show anything frontal, or they can show like some some leg, but they can't. Like it's very like specific guidelines and stuff. And so now anytime like I'm watching a show or a movie where there's like a sex scene, it's always very interesting to me to see how much skin they allow or don't allow. And how they try to incorporate that into the like scene to make it as sexual as allowed for the like TV network. And we know Buffy was not on a... Super graphic. Yeah, like, they had to be
1: very careful network. what they showed.
0: Yeah, I mean, like they had there was so many things that they tried to get past that they couldn't, you know, and so the fact that um this is like the most sexual they could show at this point is really funny to me because one, I do like that it's not super sexual because Buffy is still young. Um, and so I like that it's not super graphic cause it's like, oh, she is still 17. But I also like the fact that it shows it in very like fast paced, like kind of shots, because even though I do think that was a more aesthetic reason, I think that it looks really cool because the night did kind of go so fast that I like that it's shown in fast increments because it's like, it's almost like that feeling was fleeting
1: It's very tastefully done, and I think it shows that they truly loved each other, that it wasn't just lust, you know? Um, Yeah. So then we suddenly jump from that to the graveyard. We hear Angel say, I love you, right before. And then suddenly we're in the cemetery next to a freshly covered grave. It's daylight, but Angelus is there, which is just weird to see Angel in daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks at the grave, then at Buffy. You have to know what to see. She looks to her left, and Jenny is standing next to her, dressed in black, lifting a veil. Which, this is now the second time that Buffy has dreamt about Jenny. Because in surprise, she was also there in that dream sequence. And so at this point... Buffy's like, okay, something's
0: going on. And this is a good moment. This scene, oh my gosh. Her like like mad walking into school. Also the music too really helps. Like the the music, but it's also like, it's interesting. Like she doesn't have a book. She doesn't have a book bag, nothing. Like you could tell she came to school simply to talk to Jenny and get out. Like she's not there for anything else. Like, but... I think it's – I think that's fair. Like, if something that big happened to anyone, I would not be thinking rationally. I, like, immediately would be like, I need to go talk to this person. I need to, like – and you just see, like, Buffy. I think this is the most angry we have ever seen Buffy up until this point. Like, she's ready to just throw hands. I think (laughs) what's most tragic about this scene is that I think she gave herself false hope. Because she Mm -hmm. was like, oh, like, it's Jenny's fault. And then she went there, and then Jenny told her she didn't know anything, and she was like, "So it was me," and like, "Oh gosh, the poor girl!" It's just like a roller coaster of emotions in this freaking episode. I forget how much they put her through, more than just like the bullet points, but like the small stuff that happens that just shifts her trajectory so much.
1: Yeah. And Jenny and Giles are chatting, like, way too happily. Yeah. Did you see that smile mm-hmm. in Jenny's face? I was kind of like, why – Jenny, why? Mm-hmm. Like, I know she loves Giles or she cares for him very much, but it's just like – Someone else is in pain because of information that you withheld. It just felt very insensitive in the moment, but I don't know. Anyway, so Buffy grabbing Jenny by the neck, slamming her onto the desk. What do you know? Which was a good question. Um, Joss says he loves the brutality of this move, said it was a big change in everybody's relationship from this whole episode is all about changing relationships. You have first Willow and Xander. Buffy and Angel. Now it's Jenny and Giles. And also Giles and Buffy to a certain extent. You know, Giles is the father figure. Um, s- realizing that his charge is perhaps growing up a little. Poor students are like, hey, should we get the principal? Giles tells them to clear out that I he'll know. handle
0: it. Buffy's like literally beating up a teacher, and Giles is like, I'll handle it. Yeah, could you imagine if Snyder was would This walked would be – yeah, I was was to to say, Snyder Snyder knew – He would be on this so fast. He would run and he'd be like, I knew it. I've been waiting for this one. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing Snyder wasn't here because Buffy would have been expelled at the very least. Also, we haven't seen Snyder in a couple
1: episodes and like if he was in Ted, if he was in Bad Eggs, I feel like those are some pretty important episodes that like Buffy could have seriously gotten in trouble for.
0: Maybe he's going through his own breakup. Yeah, he's going through his own (laughs) own relationship shift. (laughs) (laughs) oh my
1: gosh he's probably in a relationship with that lady from um never kill a boy in the first date the one with the red bag and that we kept seeing the extra oh they kept walking back and
0: forth. she's a student though
1: i think she's supposed to be a professor she looks older she's going
0: back and forth to uh giles uh not giles his Uh, office hours whoa (laughs) giles man (laughs) not giles poor guy Didn't didn't ask for this So
1: Buffy asks if she changed him. Giles asks her to calm down. Then Buffy asks if she knew it was going to happen. Jenny reveals that she was sent to watch, that she didn't know what would happen. Angel was supposed to pay for what he did to my people. And Giles is over there like –
0: This line. Yeah, yeah. The line where Buffy says, what was I supposed to pay for? It's like, yes, smack her to reality. like. You want to cause vengeance or judgment or whatever on on one person, fine. But when you start to harm not only innocent people, but also people who are fighting for your cause and against vampires, like, you're hurting that person, the only person who's fighting against vampires? Like, are you stupid? (laughs) Like, your vengeance is causing so much more hurt than it, it like than what Angela did yeah and poor giles back there is trying
1: was trying to defend Jenny. He was like you can't just go around accusing people and then as soon as jenny says um i didn't know exactly giles immediately is like what the heck and the look that he gives her is you know do i even know you um Jenny says, I didn't know what would happen until after I swear I would have told you, which is true. She did not know until after it had happened, but she still should have – her first yeah, instinct should have been go didn't. tell them what she does know, mm-hmm. you know? Jenny confirms that it was Buffy that caused Angel to lose his soul. Giles clues in what's going on and goes completely silent takes off his glasses, which I'm noticing a pattern. He takes off his glasses
0: I when was about to him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's more so like he doesn't – want to face it in this moment is too much for him so he takes off his glasses and needs like time to digest i should say
1: and then buffy is like okay curse him again which i'm like that is a completely rational thing to ask for like that makes a lot of sense
0: i know i'd be asking the same thing i'd be like curse him curse you yeah. curse everyone, <laughs> curse everyone yeah i want my vengeance now <laughs> exactly
1: So Jenny says, I can't. Those magics are long lost even to my people. It can't be done. And Giles is just staring at Jenny like, who are you? I can't believe that you did this. Buffy says, then take me to someone who can. Um, which this transition is really clever because Joss talks about how they purposely had them talking about going to go see mm-hmm. Enyos so that the transition would make you think that they were the ones coming to his house and that it would be a shock that it was Angelus.
0: I will say, how did Angel get an invite in? It's um a hotel he's in. You don't need to the be The guy invited. doesn't actually
1: live there. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's the idea is that he's just in town. To, like, make sure mm. Jenny's doing what she's doing. That's why he says, we sent you, you know? Uh. Um, all right. So there was an entire scene where he was supposed to be torturing Enyos, but it was cut before they shot it because they just knew that they were not going to have enough time. Um, this was the exchange that they cut. Uh, Enyos says, you, evil one, Angelus, evil one. Oh man, now I've got hurt feelings. Enyos, what do you want, Angelus? A whole lot. Got a lot of lost time to make up for. Say, I guess that's kind of your fault, isn't it? You gypsy types. You go and curse people. You really don't care who gets hurt. Of course, you did give me an escape clause, so I got to thank you for that. Enyos, you are an abomination. The day you stop suffering for your crimes, you are no longer worthy of a human soul. Angelus, well, that pesky little critter's all gone so we can get down to business. Don't worry, it won't hurt a bit after the first hour. Which. I'm not kind of not mad that they cut it. I don't really feel like it really added much of anything. I think you get just as much of an effect just knowing that he was there and then seeing Enyos' like hands afterwards. Um, so, yeah, he says, I knew she'd bring you. I suppose you want answers. Enyos thought it was Jenny. And uh, not really, but thanks for the offer. So I want to talk real fast about this actor. Vincent Schiavelli was selected by Vanity Fair in 1997 as one of the best character actors in America. His nickname is the man with the sad eyes. Um, he had Marfan. I think it's Marfan, Marfan syndrome. It's a condition that affects the connective tissue in your body. Um, it's the fibers that support and anchor your organs and other structures of your body, which contributes to his distinct physical attributes. Um, he played a hitman in the Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies. He appeared in Batman Returns in 1992. He was the organ grinder villain. And he voiced a character in Batman: The Animated Series. He was also One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, A Little Princess, Independence Day, and many, many, many TV shows. Because he's a character actor. Who was he in Independence Day? I. He was one of the scientists. Oh. Yeah, he's kind of uncredited, I think, in Independence Day, because he doesn't have an actual speaking role. Um, but he's really good, like he's very good at acting as one thing. And so he does really well in these roles where he kind of has to play like, you know, we want you to play a gypsy man, we want you to play a villain, we want like very type-casted. Um, But yeah, just a phenomenal actor and a very, very kind man. But I thought he was worth mentioning. All right. So the army base that was supposed to only happen 30 minutes later but actually happened a whole 24 hours later. Um, This scene that they shoot right there where you see like those men uh, marching and then it pans over to Oz's vehicle is actually the far end of the warehouse where they shoot the show. They put up that chain link fence right there just for this shot.
0: Isn't that crazy? I I will say – I allow the show a lot of grace <laughs> when it comes to continuity and everything, because I know it's hard. And for the most part, they do a really, really good job. However, it doesn't make sense to me that from Halloween, Xander <laughs> gained all this knowledge, enough to know dress code, all weapons, uh, like the The entire layout of the base, everything, but then like Buffy, who is like a Victorian era woman, woman or princess or whatever noblewoman, has no knowledge, nothing. Doesn't know how to curtsy or speak fancily. Doesn't know how, like nothing. Has no knowledge. No one else. Well, how, you don't know that. How, when When is she going to use that as slang? Like I don't know? know, but I feel like it's weird that only xander mentions that he has knowledge like willow doesn't have some weirdly ghost knowledge like it just is a little convenient that's all so, I'm saying.
1: yes it is convenient i don't think it's convenient in the sense that like oh why does nobody else remember i think everybody remembers things just fine the thing is is that buffy is not gonna like need to know how to curtsy need to know how to do noblewoman stuff and willow like what is a ghost gonna do what i think is unrealistic is xander was clearly not like a colonel or a five-star general yeah he was like a normal like recruit yeah he was a normal recruit which means there's no way he's gonna know like base schematics there's no way he's going to know all of this stuff so yeah it is it's definitely a stretch and also just like the way he's talking to this guy my husband's in the military so i do have some like you know experience with this the way he's talking and everything i was like there is no way this guy would have let him into the armory with a girl there's like yeah so by far this is the most unrealistic part of this this episode um you know apart from a giant blue smurf that's going to be you know holding up a mall but you know yeah we can forgive that we can't forgive this Anyways, moving past, um, the rain is actually real. They said that they hadn't planned for it, but it was raining and it added well, to the ambiance. I feel of that.
0: like it makes a lot of sense because for some reason, anytime I think of like bases, I always just associate it with rain. I think it's because in so many movies or shows, anytime they've shown like a military base, it's rainy and it's at night. I don't know. Um, he said, so they stuck the fence there, got
1: about 16 guys, a couple of Humvees, and some boxes, and voila instant army base. <laughs> in the script it says a couple of soldiers pass Xander suavely nods to them they nod back and pass without comment because they are
0: extras
1: (laughs) Ah, that cracks me up anyway um, Oz, Willow, Cordelia and Xander show up in the van Xander uses wire cutters gets them in Cordelia who am I supposed to be again Xander a girl think you can handle it (laughs) poor Cordy try to be helpful I know. She totally is. Okay. Did anybody else think that this soldier looked like Nick Jonas? (laughs) No. He looked like Nick Jonas to me. I didn't really pay attention to him at all. I thought he looked like Nick Jonas, but yeah. Anyways, that's me. I'm revealing my age. I mean, everybody already knows I'm 30, but anyways. (laughs) So they get caught by the soldier who feels they're snooping around the armory. Nick Jonas says, you got 20 minutes. (laughs) Nick Jonas Jonas was probably like five at this point.
0: He starts singing to them. Yeah, exactly. He pulls out his guitar and he's like, well, let me serenade (laughs) you while you're in the armory. (laughs) Breaks out into like Jonas Brothers songs. Yeah. Uh, Xander, I just need five. Forget I said that last part. (laughs) I laughed at
1: that part. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Xander, I think it's hilarious. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt underneath, but you can't tell because of the jacket. Hilarious. Joss also said he wrote this moment because he's trying to portray Xander as more confident in this episode. And so this was supposed to be like his big moment, which I got to say, like, for me, it's not moments like this that sell that he's more confident. It's the moments where he's more emotionally mature. Yeah, I I agree.
0: But I think that that reflects Joss Whedon's oh yeah view on manhood let's have him go to the army and that'll show how confident he is instead of like apologizing to his girlfriend because he was a douchebag i feel like that's fake confidence because it's all like fake memories he has and like random stuff (laughs) that he can remember whereas like emotional intelligence is way more hot than just random information you know about the army i just be like okay cool Well,
1: I think it's the idea of like, he has a plan. He's executing a plan, that kind of thing. But yeah, I see what you're saying. He is
0: man. He have plan. (laughs) I'm going to put that as the tagline for this episode (laughs)
1: from Leah. (laughs) All right. So inside the warehouse, um, this is another one take shot. And Josh said this one was purely because he was trying to save time and money He says it saves a huge amount of production time unless it's really elaborate. Says he likes to save all the big toys for himself like the rocket launcher. So he has to cut corners somewhere else. And it ends up being a more interesting shot anyway. Um, Yeah. So then Xander reveals that he remembers everything from when he t- was turned a soldier for Halloween. I know procedure, ordinances, access codes, everything. I know the layout for this space and I'm pretty sure I could put together an M16 in 57 seconds. That really would so be beneficial. What
0: soldier has that amount of information when they just enlist? What soldier? Hello? Like that's so access codes? Like, he's like, yeah, I have nuclear launch codes. Uh, I have like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he's like literally like the most basic recruit ever. Like, yeah, uh, I can put together a tank in like under five seconds, and uh, all I need a is tank. one wrench. All right. So,
1: no, <laughs> we don't know how long he's been. He could have been in for a couple years. Procedure, yes. Okay. That's a normal thing. Ordinances, I, I, I don't even know what that is. I don't even think that's a thing in the military. Layout, think, yeah, layout. You could, okay? So that's fair. You could know the layout of the base. But did if they you were just there. give
0: him like a fake life where they're like, hmm, we're gonna have him be at this base in his fake memories? Why couldn't it just be that he just is a soldier? He doesn't remember. And why which is he place. a soldier
1: from like? why is he a soldier yeah why is he a soldier from sunnydale why is he a soldier from modern time why wasn't he a soldier from like you know the 70s or the 60s like even the way he talked felt like he was a soldier from like the 40s or 50s yeah joss whedon's idea of what a soldier was instead of yeah things don't add
0: up yeah
1: anyways
0: i feel like codes in the military change fairly often like if like I don't feel like they would keep the same code for years. Well, Buffy's birthday is in January and the Halloween episode was in October. I guarantee they probably changed a few of them since then.
1: Who knows? All right. Anyway, moving on. There's so many more important things that were like hung up on Xander remembering things from Halloween. Um, Cordelia, I'm sort of impressed, but let's just find the thing and get out of here. I love that they're intentionally not saying rocket launcher because they want to save it for the sweet reveal at the end. Totally pays off. I did laugh a at green. this line when she says, does looking at guns make you want to have sex? And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm a teenage
0: boy. Looking at linoleum makes me want to have sex. <laughs> Which is oh, fair. I, love it. I don't Which fault him like, for this. It's so accurate for yeah, a 17-year-old I think it's, boy. It's accurate for a 17-year-old boy. And I think that it's funny because it's like, Cordy, like what did you expect <laughs> yeah. from Xander? Like, did you really think he would be like, no, I'm never horny? When like, that's all he talks about. When also like... Linoleum is probably I mean bravo to Joss for this. The least sexy the thing least ever. Sexiest,
1: even the name linoleum just sounds uh, which so which makes unsexy. it
0: funnier because he's just like I'm just so horny that like the most un sexy thing. Yeah. Good yeah. job me on. Oh yeah, so good.
1: Okay, okay, okay guys. Here it is. And then we have this scene the with scene. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I talk about emotional
0: depth. Ugh. Oh, it's so funny him. to me because Oz is the only person where every single time he pops up on the screen, I like my first reaction to write in my notes is like in all caps, like Oz. Like every <laughs> single time, if you look at my notes, every time I layers a scene with him, it's just like Oz. Like I just we've barely Oz. seen anything of him, but the fact that he took a bullet for Willow immediately, I know. I and then it's just so casually, him. like yeah, so casually, like meh. He's like, like I just got shot. like that was his response wow (laughs) wow (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) strange but especially like this scene where we know that willow has not been acting herself and has kind of been i don't know wandering i guess would be the word and the fact that she's like just like oh you like do you want to kiss like do you want to kiss me and then he's like what and she's like okay just drop it and it's, like, five seconds later, she's, his like... His response immediately, what? Like, yeah. as if he hasn't thought about it. Yeah. And then, like, five seconds later, she's, like, okay, but, like, really, do you want, like, do you want to, like, make out? And it's so funny because, like, his answer is just so, like, it's so sweet and mm-hmm. honest because he doesn't... Am- he's not, like, uh, no, because I know you're just trying to, like, kiss yeah. me to get over his standard, which, which would, would be, be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the fact that he's, like... Talks about how he like wants to kiss her and how he like daydreams about it. Like I think the exact words he use is where he like mentions that when he kisses her, like the whole like room stops or like something like that. Like it's very like romantic and poetic. And like it's kind of funny because it like leads Willow on a little bit. So she's like, Oh shoot. Like this is it. This is. <laughs> and it's then gonna he's be like, my first kiss. Yeah, she's like, we're about to make out in the car right now. And they're like, He's just like, but, like, he's like, I have a feeling, like, you just want to get back at Xander. And he's just, like, so sweet and so kind about it. And I think that Oz is just so good for Willow because he calls her out in such a loving way. And we see Willow, like, physically react to it. And I think that this is the first time she kind of, like, notices, like, oh, shoot, like, yes, I still have leftover feelings for Xander. And, like, I need to get over that. Because, like, it's not fair to be taking it out on Xander and on Oz. I think that
1: Xander has just kind of... He has ignored having a conversation with Willow about, hey, I don't like you, Um Willow knows now where he's at simply because she's overheard conversations with him and Buffy, but he's never been really upfront with her. Um, And I think that's why it was so hurtful when she saw him with Cordelia amongst other things. So the fact that Oz is being so refreshingly honest with Willow, I think is to her just like, oh my goodness, I know where you stand. I know where I stand. And I think that having someone
0: be so open with her, she just is like, she admires that so much, you know? Yeah. And just the line where he says, In my fantasy, when I'm kissing you, you're kissing me back. It's like Good grief. It's just so it is the most kind way of like turning someone down I've ever heard. Like he's just very much like, I want you and I want to kiss you, but I I want you to want it too. And the fact yeah. that he's just like, Oh wait, like, it's just so kind. And it's yeah. like even though Willow's kind of been like a butt this past couple like episode or two, like she does deserve someone like Oz who like is just so like sweet and is willing to like put in the time and effort. Whereas like, not that Xander doesn't have his sweet moments and stuff, but he really doesn't want to put in the time and effort into a romantic relationship with Willow, which is completely fair. Um, it's just like sweet seeing someone that, you know, she deserves and he deserves her.
1: Okay. So I'm going to play the scene because I feel like the way Seth Green delivers his lines, I just – no one else can can deliver – or I just can't even repeat it the way that he does. And also this, this episode or this moment is just iconic and it's a turning point and I just want to listen to it again. So here we go.
0: Do you want to make out with me? What? Forget it. I'm sorry. Well, do you?
1: Sometimes when I'm sitting in class, you know, I'm not thinking about class
0: cuz that would never happen. I think about kissing you. And it's like everything stops. It's like it's like freeze frame. Willow, I kiss you?
1: Oh, I'm not going to kiss you.
0: What? Good. Freeze frame. Well, To the casual observer, it would appear that you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous or even the score or something. And that's on the empty side.
1: See, in my fantasy, when I'm kissing you, you're kissing me. It's okay. I can
0: wait. Any other high school boy would be like, yeah, I meant to you. Let's make out. <laughs> but the fact that he was like mature enough to be like, but if I did, I would regret it. You would regret it. It wouldn't be real. It would be on the empty side. And for him to be like, to kind of show her, like, this is not what you would want and to kind of showing her in that a very delicate, sweet, mature way. I just, so many props to him. But I think it's also supposed to show the difference between. Like their relationship, which is valuing their emotional connection and their physical connection mm, before, versus yeah. mm-hmm. ding ding, well, ding ding. No, versus like Xander and Cordelia, who supplement their emotional connection with their physical connection, yeah. and kind of demean each other um, only to be physical. Like there is a complete, like yeah. you know difference in the way that they are treated
1: yeah it's so interesting because the last line that xander had was i'm a 17 year old boy looking at linoleum makes me want to have sex well oz is that age i think he's a senior so he's a year older and yet he's able to control himself and say no i'm willing to wait like what what what? Where is Oz? I need I need an Oz. No, I already have an Oz. But you know
0: Andrew is so sweet too. He's literally he like is. two 0. he's the best. You have no, the most exactly. Oz Oz person I've ever I know. Met what are life. you even talking <laughs> about? <laughs> no. You married um, an Oz. I real? did
1: marry an Oz. I really did. Um okay so this is what Joss has to say about this scene and I thought this was really interesting. He says, "So at this point, people were not loving Oz. Everyone was angry because they wanted her with Xander since she was so clearly into him."
0: Oh. No! <laughs> How could you look at Oz? Buffy like, fandom, mm-hmm. come on girlies. No. I mean, I understand at the time when the show was like airing, people were really into like the best friend trope where like you know they're friends yeah. for years and then she gets dressed up and they're like oh like you know we even see that in Halloween episode which you know you think that there's going to be that reveal of Xander finally being like oh, Willow and then it ends up being Oz at the end of the episode Um, so I understand why when this was airing people might have thought it was going to go that direction but it's just so funny watching back years later and being like oh, How could you guys have wanted Xander over
1: Oz? Well, and I think the way that the show is leading, because again, without not giving spoilers or anything, the way the show is leading, Oz and Cordelia are merely just there as placeholders Mm -hmm. until Willow and Xander get together. That's where it seems to be heading. Or it's going to be Buffy and Xander. I mean, I think, obviously, I think that ship has sailed with Buffy and Angel, but they're leading to Angel and Xander. So to everyone, it's like Oz is just in the way, or not Angel and Xander.
0: (laughs) Oh, I was about to say, we read this no. show way differently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there, it, it seems like all signs are pointing to Willow and Xander, you know? So it, it makes sense that people would be like, ah, oh, I hate Oz because he's just in the way. And everyone wants, everyone wants a good guy for Willow. It's funny because we see, willow pining after xander and we love willow so we're like give willow what she wants but is what willow wants what she actually needs and that's the question so all right i'll finish reading the quote he says, Oz is based on an actual guy in college that Joss knew, somebody just so cool that he would see how cool Willow was, even if she was wearing a big Eskimo outfit, in fact, because she was wearing a big Eskimo outfit. He wrote this scene very specifically as a scene that would make them love Oz because it's the scene that makes Willow love Oz, because he turns her down and refuses to kiss her. Joss said that it was always important to gauge the audience's response, making things not just work, making you not just accept a plot twist or character but making you need them making you feel about them the way your character is supposed to it's the most difficult and the most important thing Christine Sutherland who plays Joyce talks about how women love Oz by the end of season 2 she says you know what it was it was the scene in the van where she asks him to kiss her and he says I don't want to kiss you until you want to kiss me that is the kind of man that every woman is looking for (laughs) true that's right Which I thought it was interesting. He's like make the audience feel about that character the way your character is supposed to. And he also said that at the end of like when – at the end of the monologue when Oz says I can wait and then he starts to get out of the car and the scene like pans – or the camera pans back to Willow looking at him. He says that's the moment that Willow falls in love with Oz.
0: Isn't that so sweet? I mean you can even see it on like – her face like she just like looks at him with this like newfound respect care and like love like she just like looks at him like we have not seen her look at anyone in the show up until now
1: yep i think in that moment she was like what this is what like a genuine healthy relationship is supposed to look like (laughs) so at enos's house or his hotel we see the uncle laid out with bloody hands Buffy, Jenny, and Giles come in, and we see the words, was it good for you too, written out in blood on the wall, which is the same thing Jenny said when she was possessed by Igon in the Dark Age, which I think is a really interesting comparison and contrast. Um, and Giles says, he's doing this deliberately, Buffy. He's trying to make it harder for you, Buffy. He's only making it easier. I know what I have to do. Kill him. Which is like, whoa, Oh, my goodness. Like, that's – that is so strong. Like, she knows what she's having to do. And at that moment, she that's the Slayer talking. And I think that's really powerful.
0: But even, like, the first episode that Angelus is here, she's already able to make that connection, be like, I have to kill yeah. him. Like, that's so much strength. Yep.
1: Um, In the warehouse, the judge says he is ready. Drew kisses Spike, causing the judge to walk away in the background. He's like, ugh, humanity. Spike, deep sigh, have fun. <laughs> Angel inserts himself. It's so funny. They're like having a moment and then Angel's there. Almost kind of like what Jenny did with Angel and Buffy in Surprise, where she's like, I'll drive you to the docks. <laughs> um, Angel says, too bad you can't come with us, huh? Be thinking of you. And then pats him. <laughs> he's so patronizing.
0: I think it's really interesting that at the beginning of this episode we saw Spike like really excited to see Angelus like was like yay like we're all teaming up and like it's kind of like he was almost kind of had this idealized version of Angelus kind of like living in like memories and stuff and he kind of forgot what it's actually like to have angelus around and he didn't realize that if angelus was around that would mean that spike yeah, well is i think not he was also dog.
1: thinking hey there is more of us than there is a slayer we can outnumber her that's all he was thinking and then now he's like um okay what is going on uh spike i won't be in this chair for forever angel takes drew's hand off of spike's cheek and then leads her away And then what happens if your girlfriend shows up, Angelus, I'm going to give her a kiss, which is interesting because, you know, he could literally mean kiss or he could mean he's going to bite her. You know, we don't know. It's Angelus. He's a little like unpredictable. Also, Drusilla's face in this is just one of like adoration and awe. She looks at the judge and Angelus and it's got to be pretty hard for Spike. So in the library... This is, another, this is another one-shotter. Like, there's so many of them. Um, they talk about there's the no-weapons-forged, and um, Joss says they had written the no-weapons-forged in Surprise, and then they realized that they needed a way to kill the judge. And so they thought about a tank for a while, and then David Greenwalt, the other producer, suggested the rocket launcher. And he says they knew they couldn't afford it, but they desperately needed it. And so they are like, okay, we, we need a rocket launcher. Um this scene is so interesting because you see Buffy and Giles in the forefront and Cordelia is off and Willow are in the background doing research. And then after Xander says, happy birthday, Buffy. I hope you like the color. He kind of moves out of the shot and it's just Giles and Buffy. And then you have Jenny in the background. And after they tell her to leave, Xander steps back into the shot. Like it's just really, really well done. Mm. Um, Buffy tells Giles that they need to figure out where they would attack, that they might not be in the factory. Jenny enters as they open the crates. Is there something that I can do, Buffy, without even looking at her? So this is very 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 similar to Ted when Giles comes into the room and you can tell he's feeling guilty and Jenny kind of doesn't even really look at him and continues doing what she's doing and it's also mm-hmm. similar to Joyce in the kitchen Um and uh, Jenny says, "I just want to help." Giles turns his back on her and says, "She said get out." Which I was like, "Dang, Giles!" Like, first of all, like that's brutal. But second of all, like this is him sticking by Buffy unwaveringly, and we yeah. haven't really seen him doing it like yep. unquestioningly up until now. Like, it's really good.
0: Yep, yep. But I also like the fact that he has such strong opinions of jenny leaving like he does he clearly doesn't want her to be there but he Mm -hmm. held them until buffy made a decision is so 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 important because it's like he recognized that buffy's hurt in this situation was greater than his so he kind of like submitted under her Mm -hmm like, authority in the situation without even, like, saying it, which is just so sweet. Well, when she walks away, they, like, Buffy kind of, like, moves along and then talks to everyone else in the room. And you see Giles turn around and face watching Jenny walk out. Like, he, like, like, doesn't regret it. He, like, he stands by what he did, but he just, like, is sad.
1: Yeah, especially when you think about they just reconciled
0: from the Dark Age.
1: Like, they were Yeah, it's just – it's very hard. Yeah, that
0: wasn't too long ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good point, Leah. I hadn't thought about that before. Like, he he takes a step back and he lets Buffy dictate what she's comfortable with, which I think speaks volumes. Yeah. So, again, I think this is the episode for relationship shifts. And you were watching Buffy and Giles' relationship grow and evolve in this as well. Um, So, Xander shows Buffy how to use it. And then the factory, Joss says that they built the chairs, the really, like, high-back chairs – um just for the set which is pretty cool the gang arrives at the factory spike is in hiding which is hilarious like i said at the beginning of the episode he was telling drew he's afraid that they were going to come to the factory and drew's like oh no they won't and of course you know spike's the only one there when they actually do willow suggests the bronze is a place where they'd get bodies because you know the judge needs to zap people cordelia there's not a lot of choices there people don't line up to get massacred Oz says, uh, guys, if I were going to line up, I know where I'd go.
0: <laughs> Which this is funny to me because literally in that episode with Darla in the first season, everyone in the bronze they literally oh, make yeah. them line that's up that's true yeah
1: <laughs> and cordelia yeah. was but there I, think how they, I like how they fit in cordelia's superpowers which are fashion and knowing where all the hot places are where people want to congregate like she like in ted she notices that the rug doesn't fit the decor and that's how they find ted's secret layer like it's just clever how they use cordelia i like it a lot so spike is listening in from behind The pillar, here's everything they're doing, which is really interesting. I mean, I don't know that he necessarily could go and warn Angelus and Drew, but I kind of wonder if he would have if he was able to. So in the mall... Um, this was actually a closed Robinson's department store. If you want to ever go look at where it is, it's on South Grand Avenue in Los Angeles. They built that kiosk in the, that you see in the, in the beginning and the one that Buffy stands on. They built it and put it up and then they turned the area into a movie theater-esque looking area and they built Oh no! Way. Yeah, they built a moat around the set to catch the water from the overhead sprinklers because they were going to yeah. light stuff on fire. They didn't want to actually ruin the department store. Um, they also built the staircase that the judge, Drusilla, and Angelus come in. You can see the wall from behind them. The doors don't actually go anywhere. Hmm. Seth Green says on one of his favorite moments from being on the show. He says, there was a day when we were making Innocence. They had built the whole mall in this warehouse in downtown LA and we kind of had a mini revolt. And Allison, Charisma, Nick, Tony and I all went to the mall across the street and we ate lunch there. It was so bad. We were told There was a Chinese place and they wouldn't serve us. They were like, we're only doing lunch orders now. We said, yeah, we want lunch. No, not bulk orders for delivery. And they wouldn't give us food. So we wound up eating a McDonald's or something. And then we started scouring the mall for board games. And we wound up buying TVopoly, (laughs) which is like TV Monopoly. It was just like a long time between setups. Julia and David and Sarah were all on set. They were working. We didn't have anything to do. So we just sat in Charisma's trailer playing board games. It was so much fun. Cute. Wasn't that fun? I love hearing things like that. All right. So one shot panning up to the stairs, doors open. Judge comes out with Drew and Angel on each side. Angelus tells the vamps to lock the exits and tells the judge to take everyone. Then we hear ding. The elevator opens and is a cool shot of Buffy like from her feet up. And it's like this one running shot as they walk down the hallway. Them strutting. Giles and Sander with the package under yes. their shoulders.
0: This like episode we're finally getting into like the iconic Buffy scenes. And this one it is, is in like the title sequence for like two oh, seasons. Oh yeah. This,
1: this particular scene. Oh, it's so good. And Oz at the very back. I was like, oh Oz is a part of the gang I now. Know. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Buffy Oz! Says, Everybody <laughs> keep back damage control, only take out any lesser vamps. I'll take the Smurf. Which this Buffy is very all business. You can tell she's just – she's grimly determined. She knows what she has to do. She has to. She's not taking any pleasure out of this at all.
0: Mm -hmm. I think she has to be robotic. Otherwise, if she allows herself to feel, she couldn't do it.
1: Yep. Um, So the judge burns everyone like a chain reaction. Angelus and Drew look satisfied and really excited. All of a sudden, there's an arrow to the Smurf's chest, stops him, Gets his attention and he says, who dares? And I love the shot of Angelus and Drew like whipping over looking and there's the epic pan up to Buffy yes. standing on
0: the with a crossbow. Yep. I will say anytime Buffy pulls out the crossbow, I know it's about to be <laughs> a good fight. Like, cause well, we know that crossbow is like her main go to weapon and it's the one she's like most skilled in. But it's like when she pulls out the crossbow, I'm like, I'd be scared, especially if you're Angel knowing that she's really skilled with the crossbow. I'd be like, oh, right, frick, we saw
1: run. Right, because the crossbow for the first time in the episode Angel when she was going to go kill him. And then again in Prophecy Girl. I don't think we've seen the crossbow mm-hmm. since, though. It
0: shows her rage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> her determinedness. And Joss says, again, the epic, the Western, people far apart, the showdown, the shootout. It's a huge part of what makes Buffy cool. When she picks up that rocket launcher, I have never loved her more.
0: <laughs> well, and the fact that she has the line where he's like, oh, nothing can destroy me. And she goes, that was yeah. then, this is now. Yeah. I was like, Light yes, it up like kill it's him. 1998, baby. <laughs> Literally, well, goes, what's that thing? Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good. If I could like just play a clip right now, I totally would. But you know, it's not the same just hearing it.
0: I just love that we get two back to back episodes with my two favorite um, Drew mental breakdowns. Yeah. like where she gets thrown from like the ceiling, not the ceiling, the staircase, and she goes, and she like runs her off. Yeah, it's so good. And then the episode before, she has like these are all wrong, yeah. and she's like pulling them off. Uh, the moment when the launcher fires up, everyone ducks for
1: cover. I love how Angelus and Drew, they're like, oh, we know what that is, and immediately like mm-hmm. jump off. Um, With the slow motion, they actually had the camera move as fast as they could while they jumped, and then they slowed it down. Um, They said normally with explosions, you usually just set up the camera on a tripod and then don't do anything with it. You just watch it. But they... Um, they needed to have like CGI to hide the, to make fire, to hide the fake rocket bouncing off the statue of the judge. And they also wanted this moment to look really epic and cool and to show it in motion. So they, they use the camera in motion, which definitely adds a really interesting effect to it. Um, did you guys notice Oz's face when when the explosion happened, everyone else is sitting there like, no this look on their face like oh my goodness this is awful and oz has like a smile on his face and it's like whoa <laughs> you you know Oz is yeah. just thinking like yeah. cool oh. right. he's like rad so then angel takes off drew takes off
0: buffy says best present ever <laughs> and and then uh xander goes i knew you'd like it yeah <laughs> that little banter is really cute in this episode
1: so she tells them to pick up the judge's pieces and keep them separate to make sure he's dead. Cordelia's like, "Pieces. Our job sucks." And I was like, "She is not wrong." Well, no,
0: <laughs> she's like, "We have the worst job." I'm like, "Then killing your boyfriend? Come on, girl." Yeah. You try and kill your boyfriend who just lost his soul, Cordelia.
1: Yeah, seriously. So Buffy sees Angel who ha- at least has the decency to look terrified. Yeah.
0: I will say this scene I think is the most how how is it? It is the best choreographed uh, fight scene so I think good. that we have seen up until this moment. It is amazing, as it mm-hmm. should be too, because like Buffy is Buffy, obviously, and Angel has been hyped up to be, or Angelus has been hyped up to be this. Mm-hmm. huge, big bad who, like, really knows what he's doing. And so if the fight scene was kind of like any other vampire, I'd well, be really I think we've all been kind of wondering what a showdown would be like with Angelus and Buffy. And even though we didn't want to see it, we've all been kind of thinking about it. But, like, this whole interaction, this whole fight scene and everything that happens in this rainy scene is one of my top five favorite Buffy scenes of all time. It's just powerful. It's tragic. It's, like exciting but uh she's it's every emotion it's so good it's
1: raw Mm -hmm. like the way that she's fighting she's pouring her whole rage
0: everything into it but he's also taunting her using like sexual tropes and like it's just so good and what's interesting with that is that you see it kind of mess Mm -hmm. with her head initially but then you see it fuel her because she's like this is so clearly not angel that like it's kind of helping her clear her mind i will say the cutscene from the fight to the mall where arm. Oz just goes, uh, <laughs> arm had me rolling. Like I had to pause my episode because I was like sitting there dying. Cause he's just sitting over. He's like, arm. Oh, I was I love losing it. Because
1: it. Oz is too cool to touch any judge pieces. But also he's like, Hey, I'm only here because I wanna be. <laughs> I don't actually have to be here. I ain't touching no arm. Yeah. It was great. Um, so Josh says, they shot the Buffy and Angel showdown on a stage and it was designed to look like a little movie theater area in a shopping mall. They rained water on them for several hours um, and they were promised warm water, but the water was very cold. And he says the stunt doubles and Sarah and David were – just troopers because they were very, very cold. He said the cameramen all wore like giant plastic bags and everything to protect their gear. Um He said this was the fight that meant more than any other fight that they had ever shot because it was between two people who loved each other. Um There's a poster behind Angelus of the movie Fallen that came out that year. The movie is actually about how a de- demonic entity makes people behave differently. Which Dang. Is interesting. Yeah, represents a fallen angel. Yep. Wow. I also want to think it's really interesting like we have been building up and leading to this moment and when she was bad when Buffy was going through that stuff and she was trying to goad Angel into fighting her but he refused and he says I'm not going to fight you. Um, The fact that he fights her now is just another way in which Angelus is different from Angel because obviously if this was Angel there's no way he'd be doing this. Um, So the sprinklers turn on angel hits Buffy. as She comes around the corner. You know what the worst part was, huh? Pretending that I loved you. If I'd known how easily you'd give it up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have even bothered Buffy. It doesn't work anymore. You're not angel.
0: Mm-hmm. Angelus.
1: You'd like to think that it doesn't matter. The important thing is you made me the man I am
0: today. Yeah, I think that is especially Ugh. cruel because he's kind of crediting his cruelty to her. He's like, you yeah. did this to me. And then he's like, not quitting on me, are you? Come on, Buffy. You know you want it. Like saying like, I feel like that's like Mm -hmm. something that people say when they're about to sexually harass somebody. It's like, oh my gosh. Like he really pokes at anything he can find.
1: Yep. Yeah. And as soon as he says that, that's when, that's the turnaround. Mm -hmm. She jumps up. She kicks his head, causing him to bend over. Then she brings her knee up to his face, slams it. I love then it. Then blocks his punch, slams his head into the glass counter. And I put, this is Buffy at Ooh. her wrist. He's down. Yep. Then she pulls out the stake. And this is the moment we're all like, is it going to happen? Is she going to kill yeah. him? Their theme song plays-
0: And you really think mm-hmm. it will. Oh, yeah. No, like, you do. She's just kind of in such a fiery passion. And he's taunting her so much. It's been leading up to this. Like, you're really just sitting there like she's going to kill him. I think he knew she wasn't going to, though. You see how, like, like chill he is? Like, even though, like, she's wailing I him around, I, think there was I really sp- think that he didn't think she was going to do it. I think there was a split second where she, where he really was like, oh, shoot. And then it was like, he kind of calmed himself back down. And he was like, as I think as soon as he saw her hesitate with the stake, he was like, she's not going to do it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because I would imagine like as a first-time viewer watching this probably feeling so conflicted because you're probably rooting for Angel because you've loved Angel mm-hmm. and Buffy together. But then Angelus is so awful that you're like, this guy, this punk just needs to go down. And so
0: there's this tension. I mean, there. watching this now, I'm still conflicted. Like I watch this back and I'm like, <gasps> I hate him. He's awful. Like he's taunting her so much. But then there's another part of me that's like, but it's angel. I really wish that I remember my first impression of the earlier seasons because I don't like of like anything in the earlier seasons. I don't remember my first reaction to it, which is so sad. I remember the later seasons, but like this is one of those times where I'm like, I just wish I was a first time viewer because this is like, I mean, even as somebody who's like a veteran of the show, it's still phenomenal, stands the test of time. It's been out for over what 23 years or something and it's still mm-hmm. amazing but i'm like i just i i can only imagine the weight and like the shock of this because so much happens in this episode like you wouldn't think that she'd get to a place where she's like i need to kill him and then almost killing him in the one episode that he actually turns you'd think that would be a couple yep. episodes later but it's just this episode is it's unreal yeah, it is.
1: As she lowers the stake, Angelus, you can't do it. You can't kill me. She kicks him as hard as she can in the nuts, then walks away. Give me time. I love that. I love mm-hmm. how it ended. I think that was the best way it could have ended because it shows that Buffy's not there yet. And yeah. I think I respect that because it's totally understandable that mm-hmm. she's not. But the fact that she says, give me time shows that she knows what she has yep. to do and she's yep.
0: still willing to But it's to also there. like, it's kind of a threat to Angel as well. It's not her being like, oh, I can never do it. I it's it's literally just being like, watch your step because one day I'm going to be there yeah. and I'm going to be able to kill you and I'm going to actually do it. And so it's like, and that's like yeah. chilling. Like if I was Angelus, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm alive. And then hearing that, I'd be like, oh, uh, I think I'd rather kill myself. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah. And the
1: fact that like, There have been many, many instances in this episode where Angelus could have killed Buffy – when she hugged him back at the room, when she was still sleeping and he had turned into Angelus, he could have gone back in there and killed her. Um, when he grabbed her and kissed her in the hall. I mean, there's like at least three opportunities he had to kill her. And that's terrifying because, you know, he's just trying to mess with her and play with her. The fact that Buffy could have killed him in this moment, she walks away from him, is very reminiscent of everything. Not trying to compare them, but like it's her taking back the power. She had the power in the situation and she, she threatened him and walked away. So now he has to kind of live with a little bit of fear, the same kind of fear he's been, you know, giving her this entire episode. Josh says the stuff that Angel says to her is just mean boyfriend, mean sexual stuff. It's all relationship stuff. The fight epic again but the pain completely intimate and of course buffy's response more intimate still the show was designed to be a feminist show not a polemic but a very straight on feminist show and for her to be so abused by him and for her response to be to kick him in what spike would refer to as the ghoulies it's very primal Mm. it's very important it's kind of empowering and i kind of love it so then we have this is so important This is so important because the next two scenes, so we have Buffy as her most raw as a slayer. Like, this is her peak slayer. And then we have her most raw as a human 17-year-old girl. And we have these beautiful Mm. two moments with the two people who are the most important to her, her mother and her father. Like, I'm just going to say it, Giles is her dad. And this scene was shot the night that they were supposed to shoot the scene on the lawn Mm -hmm. and it wasn't working. And he said Sarah was really upset that it hadn't worked. Um, And then Joss thinks that the tears that she's shedding are actual real tears of frustration because she um, really wanted it to be as good as it was and as good as it could be and it wasn't getting there. Um, Mm -hmm. He says that. Tony is not wearing pants in the scene, which.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dang, props to Sarah up. for like, like not like laughing or like taking it right? out of the scene. <laughs> David Greenwalt saw this
1: scene and said that she had the best father in the world. And then when he saw the next scene, he was like, she is the best mother in the world. Joss says the idea that she could come back to this family for strength after her sort of baptism of adolescent fire of romance gone wrong was very beautiful to me. Um, And Giles' words also mirror how he is feeling about Jenny in this moment as well. She's not who he thought she was, and he can't blame himself for falling for someone that was hiding her true self as well. Mm. So I'm going to play the scene real fast because it's just – it's beautiful. I think it's literally one of my favorite Mm. moments from this episode. It's not over. I suppose you know that. He'll come after you, particularly. His profile. uh, He's likely to strike out at the things that made him the most human.
0: You must be so disappointed in me. No. No, no, I'm not. This is all my fault?
1: I don't believe it is. Do you want me to wag my finger at you and tell you that you acted rashly? You did. And And I can. I know that you loved him. And... He has proven more than once that he loved you. You couldn't have known what would happen. The coming months are going to be hard. I suspect on all of us. But if it's guilt you're looking for, Buffy, I'm, I'm not your man. All you will get from me is, is my support
0: and my respect.
1: you will get from me is my support and my respect. This scene just really reminds me of the dark age at the very end when Buffy comes to him and is comforting him saying, "Hey, you know, I it's okay. We're you're human too. We all make mistakes." I think and then also again after when she was bad when he says, "You're going to make many more mistakes," you know, and she was apologizing. I I just it's just beautiful he's he's so sweet it's just such a sweet relationship i love it i think it's probably one of my favorite relationship dynamics of the show seriously
0: and i will say like the the fact that they have her and angels like theme behind it just makes it beautiful too Mm -hmm.
1: yeah exactly so then we go to buffy's house um The shot of the old movie was so comforting and so sweet. And so the feeling of poignant loss, it meant not just the loss of innocence, but the fact that the innocence isn't loss, that Buffy is in this sense an innocent, that she hasn't lost Mm. anything of herself, even though she's gone through a painful maturing process. And that's why her mom says that she doesn't look any different, to show that she's still the same good person that she was.
0: The song that's Um, playing in the background, I wrote down like what it says. I said good night, my love. The tired old moon is descending. Good night, my love. My moment with you now is ending. And then it skips to the end of the song. At the end of the scene, it says, "Sleep, sleep tight, my love. Good night, my love. Remember that you're my sweetheart." She's mm-hmm. so sad. Yeah,
1: it is. It's really sweet.
0: Um, the the movie
1: is actually um, a Shirley Temple movie called Stowaway. Mm-hmm. I remember that um, one. It's from nineteen thirty six. Yeah, I remember it too. But Joss says that he jumped up and down during the rocket launcher scene because – he was really excited about it thought it was the coolest thing ever but he said this scene which was shot the next day made him even happier because it had such a simplicity and such sweetness he says the two of them Mm -hmm. they leave me with the exact feeling that I want at the end of this of regret with loss and with love Mm -hmm. so Joyce enters with cupcakes and a hot mug they look so cozy on the couch watching that old black and white movie Joyce promises that they're still gonna go shopping on Saturday and says so what did you do for your birthday did you have fun buffy says i got older she did Mm. yeah she did Joyce, you look the same to me and buffy looks like she's holding back tears and then joyce tells her happy birthday and tells her to make a wish buffy i'll just let it
0: burn (laughs) oh i'd be so concerned if i were joyce yeah
1: and she is you can Mm -hmm. see it on her face and i love that buffy leans her head on her mom as just like, comfort me, mm-hmm. love me, mom. And then it is, it plays goodnight, my love, and it fades out. Christine Sutherland says, I think one of my favorite scenes was the one at the end of her birthday, the two-part story. When Joyce and Buffy are sitting on the couch, I thought Joss did something so wonderful in that scene with Joyce being her mother and knowing that something is going on that is very hard for her. Just being there and not asking what it mm. is, knowing that. You just have to be there and hope for the best for them. You can't say, oh, let me be your best friend and tell me everything that is going on. That's not your place. You're a
0: mother. I feel like that's the best sort of relationship. I remember um, mm. Sarah Michelle Geller a few months ago talked about her relationship with Selma Blair and said that they have a similar like relationship that like like Selma would just call her up and talk about how – how much she was going through and Sarah would just come over and not say anything. And then just crawl in bed with her and just be with her and watch movies. And when I read that, I just like immediately thought of like this scene, like sometimes people are just so exhausted and they just don't want to talk about it. And they just need people just to be with them. And I feel like that's just like that comfort and that like ease is sometimes just what you need. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, so important this moment especially after everything that's happened in bad eggs and in ted and all this other stuff to be reminded that this is who joyce is we needed this that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and that their relationship is so core and so central and that buffy just she needs her mom and at the end of the day like they still have a really good relationship even though she's a teenager and they have mm-hmm. stuff that comes up and It's just a reminder of how young Buffy actually is. Like she's 17 and she's having to carry the weight of all of this. Mm. It's just beautiful. Every single scene just hits a different note and it does it so well. This is seriously got to be one of my top 10 favorite episodes. Top 10? Really? beautiful.
0: Got to be. I think it'd be like top like four or five for me.
1: Really? Oh, I have other, I think, episodes that I like maybe a little bit better. But this this
0: would definitely probably make top five. Really? Okay. I have to rewatch. I still don't even though I keep saying that but I haven't even actually written it down and see if I and see if passion or this one would be in my top five.
1: Yeah, we need to like sit down and figure out like at some point we're yes. gonna maybe we'll do a po- an episode at the end. Maybe of we'll do it pod, with people. Or, yeah, maybe yeah, we'll do it. Because like uh, I keep saying pod, like um <laughs> oh this is one
0: of my favorite scenes <laughs> at the end of the pod. But like there's so many of my favorite scenes we need to actually narrow it down.
1: Well, I think I need to favorite do like scenes David, too, too yeah, favorite
0: scenes and then
1: favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will mm-hmm. have to have a full on episode on that. But guys, that's it. That's not surprise it's innocence
0: uh, <laughs> what episode yes. are we on and I really want to know for anyone who is a first-time viewer how does watching this episode make you feel because mm-hmm. it has been years since any of us have watched this for the first time and so if you are a first-time viewer definitely reach out let us know how this episode made you feel because I cannot even remember what it felt like yeah.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening along guys. I know this was long. Hopefully you learned some stuff. Hopefully you just enjoyed the ride. Please definitely let us know. Even for those of you who've watched the show for a long time, let us know what your thoughts are. Um let us know how you felt the first time watching it too. It's always just so fun. I I feel like it's it's pretty much a Buffy thing to be all like where were you when Angelus? Appeared? I know. You know, it's it's literally like a cornerstone for the show. But yeah, so next week we will be having the spoiler section for both Surprise and Innocence. And I am really excited about that because we've got a lot to talk about. But um, you guys can find us on Instagram at Podcast. You can email us at BecomingBuffyPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts um, specifically about the metaphors for this episode when it comes to, you know, the loss of innocence. Let us know even in light of things with Joss Whedon about you know him talking about not punishing Buffy for sex and what your opinions are with that. Um, I'm just really curious and interested to hear from all of you. So yeah, with that, guys, have a great week and we will see you.